0: Couch wisdom. 100%. Couch wisdom. 100%. Hey, this is Todd Burns from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, our regular podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. For Alice Bag, punk was always more than just music; it's a way of life. Born in East Los Angeles to immigrant Mexican parents, Bag's career kicked off when she co-founded the Bags in 1977. The band only lasted four years but made an indelible mark on the burgeoning LA punk scene, thanks in no small part to how Alice transformed the blunt trauma of her daily life into onstage energy. Alice continued to upend expectations throughout the 80s, all while going to college and beginning a new career as a teacher. This quiet reinvention ultimately took Alice away from music, though she kept sharing insights and lessons online and in her memoir, Violence Girl. In 2016, nearly four decades after she became a singer, Alice Bagg released her self-titled debut solo album. In this public conversation at the Red Bull Music Academy Festival Los Angeles, hosted by Terry Genderbender of La Butcherette's, Bagg shared some of her hard-earned wisdom about music, politics, and resistance. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom.
1: How are It's such a pleasure seeing you guys here. This is such an honor to be able to present this guest that we have right now, which I will tell you shortly who it is. This is going to be a conversation with Alice bag. So how is everyone feeling tonight? Alice. Oh my gosh. I stole it from you.
2: <laughs> Bandida. <laughs> how are you? estás? Dios mío. I am good. I'm so happy to be here with you guys. I am feeling a little bit sick, so if I throw up, we decided that we would work it into the performance. Just be prepared. Yeah. You have to roll with uh, the yeah. punches?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> so basically, here, this
1: is a living legend. I'm sorry to put you on the spot. I know how hard it can be sometimes to, it's, they're not just compliments, it's, it's, it's truth. This is part of history. She's a historical figure in the punk scene, and the feminist scene, and basically in the community.
2: <laughs> Thank you.
1: She's inspired many people to stand up for themselves and to believe that silence is not the only way, that there's more things in this earth than to keep it locked inside. And you're an inspiration, and if it weren't for you, we wouldn't be here. So thank you so much. Thank you. So Alice Bagg was 19 years old when she became the voice and front woman of one of Los Angeles' most surreal and punk acts, The Bags. Bag played a crucial role during the early years of LA punk, contributor to the feminist movement and community by being an educator and giving endlessly better herself, not only to the movement, but also to motherhood. Bag, a Chicana from East Los Angeles, used her music to traverse uh, issues of gender, race, and class which she would later write about in her imp death and in her 2011 memoir, Violinist Girl, which is a great freaking book. All the books that you've written are amazing. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm fangirling, but that's a good thing because whew, when do you really get to fangirl in this way, right? Okay, so
2: <laughs> thank you. We, had, we had our fangirl interactions yesterday because we were both very nervous about meeting each other, so. So, you you missed it. You missed the part where we were constantly hugging each other. It's like, "Ah, I'm such a fan. (laughs) We'd be in the middle of a conversation and be like, okay, no, no, no. You
1: know what? Come on, girl. Get up here. So, Alicia. Así te llamas, (laughs) de verdad, Alicia. And and basically, because my my real name is Teresa. And so, throughout the the times that when you're growing up in East Los Angeles, at what point did you realize, okay, I have to convert my name Alicia to Alice? Was it a cultural thing or was it, how did it come about?
2: Well, it was the constant mispronunciation of my name. It just bugged me when they called me Alicia and I knew that's not my name, my name is Alicia. And then I finally had um, a teacher who just completely changed it to Alice. And she's like, that's the American version of your name. And I'm like, okay, well, actually like, Alice is okay because I've like read Alice in Wonderland and all these other. I had other th- connections to it, but Alicia just sounded so foreign that I didn't want people to. And I still get that, you know. Yeah, yeah I still get that. Like, I mean, because it's spelled the same way, and a lot of people pronounce their name that way. So, and you probably have the same. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: They say oh Teresa oh, sounds like a wet dog's name. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Wait, like a wet dog? Uh-huh, like a wet dog. I don't know. The kids are very, uh, very poetic, I guess. Yeah, I think he was probably reading a lot of Bukowski at the time, that five-year-old boy.
2: <laughs>
1: but uh, yeah, I completely relate to that, that you feel yeah. disconnected from, from that name. But eventually, you, know, you, you have to make it your own, being yeah. a, that you're forming part of a different culture, and, and Terry came about as well. So that's why, I guess, Terry, Alice,
2: but there's still names that you find, in a way... That you relate to, right, in a way uh, throughout the time? Yeah, I feel like I feel like there is a part of me that's Alice Bag, and I also feel that I can I can also step into a different scenario, like with my family. And if they call me Alicia, you know, it's cool because that's what I grew up hearing. You're, and it's part of your roots. Yeah, it's too, part of my roots. Exactly.
1: Yeah. And 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 I know you've probably been asked this lots of times, but do you feel like sometimes you're divided into three people? Uh, uh, Alicia Armendariz, Ali, Alicia Velasquez, Yanales Bag or, or do you yes. see them all as the same person?
2: No, and I actually have like you know, I bumped into I used to be a teacher, so sometimes I bump into students and they're like Miss Armendaris or you know, Miss Miss Velazquez, or just Miss uh-huh. <laughs> And and
1: so you're so finally when, when you were in East Los Angeles, what was the overall feeling back then in the day when you we were growing up in it? Because it's a little different than it is now, or is it big difference?
2: You mean um, in school or in, in, the, in school, my neighborhood? In school, or... in
1: your neighborhood. Let's start with your neighborhood. Let's start with the with the essence of
2: yeah, where I grew you grew up in. I grew up in, in East LA in a neighborhood that was mostly Mexican-American and Mexican immigrants. So I really, as I was growing up, I really didn't know that there was another world out there. Like my whole world was, you know, people who spoke Spanglish. And, and at home, we spoke only Spanish. And we watched only Spanish language movies as a family. And, and tell, English language, I mean, sorry, Spanish language, like telenovelas, were like a ritual at night. But every now and then, like when I get home from school, I'd I'd watch something goofy like Gilligan's Island or something like that. And that shaped my understanding of what the outside world was like. But I feel like I had a very um, insulated experience because everybody around me, except for the people who were like the authority figures, you know, my teachers. Didn't live in East L.A. My teachers came in from other suburbs, and most of them didn't speak any, any Spanish at all. And my doctor didn't speak Spanish. And you know, the people that were in in positions of authority were either white or non, non-Spanish speaking, other ethnicities, but not not ever like, not ever people that were like me.
1: And you picked that up immediately as a little-, little That comment. I did notice, yes, yeah, that yeah. I did notice. And, and, and did this curiosity, when you picked up on it, did it, did it inspire some type of anger, or, or just even more curiosity as to why, or all types of emotions, what, what did you feel?
2: I think what I felt was like, oh, maybe that's not open to us, you know, like maybe, you know, maybe those people are um, smarter. Then, yeah i I think I really thought maybe you know that that was not a possibility for me, or maybe like people were teachers because they were like like i don't know, I almost felt like they were like they were being charitable by coming to my neck of the woods, which was not not as fancy as where they had grown up, and I felt like, oh, they're being so nice coming and doing this nice stuff for us yeah i mean i feel I feel like I really started to think that I wasn't um that that I, I didn't have power. At that point in my life I really felt like I didn't have power. It would take a little while for me to discover. And and that. music that helped you discover that power or, or would you yeah, think it was I, well music else was part of it, but music happened well music happened um, in elementary school. So there was a part of me that felt accepted. Uh, by my friends and uh, even though they were not really friends, but my, my classmates, right? Because I had uh, a, a mentor who was uh, my music teacher who actually got me the first job I ever had was singing for bilingual cartoons. But I think the first moment that I realized that as a Latina or a Chicana or a brown person, because I don't think I even had, knew what a Chicana was at that point, was that when i was 11 years old i got to go to the chicano moratorium and it was the first time that i'd realized oh you know what we're not being treated fairly and there's a group of us and we're all going to get together and do something about it so that was the awakening of feeling like i really do have power i just haven't figured out how to tap into it
1: oh, I amen mean, yeah. hey women <laughs> and and so when you finally when when you Figured out that there, there's an, an antenna, una antenita que puedo utilizar para, para to express myself. Did you know right away this is what I'm gonna do with my life? Not maybe not in a tangible form, but you knew that somehow Her, this little antenna that you had that you finally do. Unfortunately due to copyright through the here. inspiration that yeah, wow I'll okay, okay this is too. somehow this is gonna get me through many anyway, obstacles. Did you have any sense
2: whatsoever? Yeah, I mean, there were all kinds of clues, I think, but they they had to come together, you know? Um, like, if I go back to my childhood, I had a very supportive father who told me, like, you can be anything, and but it was kind of like a fantasy, you know, thinking that I could be anything, that I could be, he would tell me you can be president of the United States, and there was a part of me that believed it, but there was also part of me that didn't see it, you know, that's like, there's nobody up there like, that looks like me you know so it was hard it was like trying to understand how it was possible when when you looked outside it wasn't there you know and that's that's still something that happens you know that's still like i still look and go like you know where is our representation i know that we should have it i know that we're powerful enough to get it but it's not there yet
1: how how much of a progress do you think is left to be done for, for women in music? And, I, and, I, and, and not just women, but just, you know, the minorities. I
2: think until we stop, like, noticing it, you know, until you see, like, you see it so much. I think when I was involved in the punk scene, a lot of people, like, you know, ask me about that time and like how many women and how many people of color and how many gay people were involved in it. And it's always like, oh, well, you know what? I didn't even notice because it was so integrated. It was everybody like, yeah, everybody was working together that you didn't even stop to think about it. You didn't have to make a statement because it was, you were living that kind of, like everybody working together. So when we get to that point where we don't see like, like, when we don't have to notice, hey, there's women in that band, or, you know, oh, look, that, that, that's a really good female drummer. You know, it's like, why do you have to, you have to point that out? It's like, oh look, that's a really great drummer, and she has two eyes, or he has two eyes. No, it's like, it shouldn't be an issue. And, and it,
1: honestly, does it tire you, personally, when, in interviews, people ask you, oh, so being a woman, how did it feel like? does that irritate you or do you feel proud to be able to express that or does it depend?
2: Oh, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to people and I always feel like it's a privilege to be in a position where somebody cares what you have to say. That's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
1: Because I've noticed a lot of people sometimes even walk off interviews when, when they're asked, oh, so how does it feel to be a woman in a band? And, and, and I guess it's to a point that so many of us have had it they are like, oh, you know what? Just, work on your questions first or something and then they walk
2: out. Oh yeah, I do get I get fed up with that too, you know I get fed up when people like invite me to be part of something and they're like, oh yeah you know what, we're almost done with our documentary but we don't have enough women so we want you to come in for half an hour and we're going to tell you exactly which questions we want you to answer. So it's not like you're telling your story, it's like you're supporting their story and they already are setting you up with the answers so that you can just say what they want they might as well give you a script, you know? Exactly. So, so that's frustrating to me. I hate like the idea that I'm anybody's token ever. Like, you, you know. They wanna use yeah. it or something, yeah, to fill in the, 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 story, the story in there. And then... Yeah, so that they can say like, oh yeah, we were inclusive. We asked everybody. But, you know. yeah. And I, I remember reading
1: from your memoir about your earliest, happiest childhood memory when you're going down the sled. And, and yeah. it moved me because in a way, their kids were there playing as well, even though you didn't really feel a, a connection with them, you you still involved yourself socially by joining them, g- going down the sled on the snow, in the snow sled. What other memories of that
2: style do you have when you were little then? It was a dirt sled. It was like <laughs> I would have going down this dirt, dirt? hill. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, I felt really um, disconnected from other people when I was little. I think it was, um, I think it was a kind of trauma because I grew I grew up in an abusive household, and I feel a lot of the time that I I withdrew, and um, when I was in school, I really had a hard time making friends. So that was the first time that I remember like other kids playing with me and including me, and it was it's just a really good memory because because I felt part of something.
1: Yeah, they were including you. Yeah. Yeah, and and when you're included you include them too it's a, it's a two-way street it encourages the, the both ends to open yeah and and now now we're going to the different extreme cuz you are known to be a daughter of duality where in person you're extremely shy even i could even dare to say shy uh, but, but, but very open but on stage is also another another extreme where the, the animal in you comes out um, what, what, you would know, right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, oh my,
1: uh, what, what n- n- sad memories inspired the part of that fire in you? Because now we talked about the happy, but now it was something sad that.
2: Yeah, I think it's the growing up in an abusive household where you, I felt like I didn't have a voice. I felt like when I tried to defend my mother, I was just like swatted away. So I feel like um, when I got on stage, all that feeling of not not being able to express myself came out, and it came out in a, a rage. You know that was that was only partially. I was only partially aware of it. A lot of times I'd be on stage and I was like, in I really was like Alice Bag, some other like entity, not really. You know, like not really conscious of my movements or my or my singing or my performance. It was. In fact, we. You know, it wasn't like a performance. It was just like a state of being. You know, exactly. I, do you have that too? Like where you feel like. You go into... You live in it, right? You're living it, yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly. It's not, you're, a, it's not performing you're not because you haven't pre-planned it. It's not like you're backstage, all right, what move am I going to do? Okay, on this, on this minute, yeah. I'm going to do this. But no, 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 none yeah. of that happens. It comes to you, you your music and, and, your, and your body can collide.
2: Yes, yeah. and all your emotions and everything just spill out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, got, I get that from you, too. You know, when you're on stage, it's like just... It's just raw energy and you're a completely, you're not, you're, it's not rehearsed, you're not acting, you're living it and that's, that's the connection. And that's the connection you get from like a live audience too. It's like, they're with you and um, they're stuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Thank you so much, Alice. Uh, you mentioned just a little bit now about the sad memories about living in an abusive household. And, and I completely relate to you uh, two parallel lives that have, mm-hmm. have that in common. Um, what's your advice? How, how how did you get through it when you're a kid and you feel so useless and you don't know how to ask for, or ask for help? You can't, not, much less ask for help, uh, much less understand it yourself. Uh, w- w- how do you get through something like that?
2: I think it's hard when you're a kid, you know, because you don't know that. I mean, I remember. My mother, actually, who was the victim of the abuse, saying, don't say anything because we don't want your father to be taken off to jail because he has to go to work and he ha- we have to pay the rent. And it was like, so it affected us in so many ways that she actually rationalized it so that he wasn't taken away. So it, it was weird because it was this weird situation where I felt complicit, you know? Um, but but that. But
1: now you know that's not the case. No, okay, now I okay.
2: know that's not the case. But I, and I think now I also understand abuse as something that's not just, you know, between two people. But it's like it's it affects whole families. And I think it's something that you know when when you are dealing with it, if you're someone who knows someone who's in that situation, you have to take into consideration everyone that's living in that household because they're all being affected. I specifically remember my mother telling me. I don't want to get a divorce from your father because you need a father, you know, like, so I I really felt guilty about that because I felt like she's staying in this abusive relationship for me and uh, I never wanted that. And you didn't know how to process that? Yeah, the no, I know. You, I
1: felt guilty, you know, like, so. And maybe in her mind, because She was from a different
2: generation. It was like, no, yes. but this is good. I mean, I, this of is... course, yes. Uh-huh. She was doing it for me. I, she genuinely believed yeah, that, right. and she also genuinely believed that she couldn't just leave. That she believed divorce was a bad thing, uh, and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. and she couldn't just leave and get into a different situation. She had to like figure out how to make that situation work.
1: Uh, from Catholic family, right? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah, that's another double texture and weights on top of it, right? Because you don't wanna feel guilty also for that, you know, that the, big, the, the divorce, the big D, that's, yeah, it's uh, prohibited, you know.
2: Yeah. So, so yeah, completely. So we the, have uh, to, you know, yeah. I think as a society, we have to find a way to, like, not make people who are in these situations feel ashamed for being caught, being trapped in it. Because I feel like, you know, I, I think there was a certain amount of shame, you know, like, oh, I did something to to make myself get beaten up and now I haven't filed charges you know and you feel like there there's there's victim shame which is horrible because what you want to do is like say no let's let's talk about it let's figure out how we can get out of the situation how we can change the situation how the whole family can get some kind of help
1: mm-hmm. and in and, in and, and and, and once you get the help, the, the first important thing is that, to detach yourself from, from the shame, you'd say, right? Yeah. To, to just detach from yourself from that emotion and, and acknowledge that it's a diff, completely different emotion that's, that you were not born with. And, and and as long as you're aware, I mean, it's a long process, of course, in the working, but awareness is the first step, you would say?
2: Yeah. I, I think, you know, for me, it took years and years of not even knowing what the hell was going on with me. What, uh, what, what am I angry about? What am I like? I would go on stage and people would say, like, you know, you were looking at me and I thought you wanted to kill me. You know, you were so mad at me, and I'm like, <laughs> I wasn't mad at you. Like, and I wasn't even like, I wasn't even there. I was like. I was into the song. I was into the performance. I was in the moment, and I wasn't thinking about anything. But it was coming out. You know, it comes out of your pores. And when I started writing my book, that's that's when it first um, when I first realized, oh, all this stuff is right there. All I had to do was just, you know, you scratch a little bit, and it's right there, right under the surface. And it all came like just flowing. Yeah. yeah
1: and, and, and it's because you're reliving it. Yeah, and especially if you're writing it, you're going into detail and you have to edit it later to reread it again, so you're constantly reliving it. But did it
2: help you find closure? I think it helped me understand myself. And yeah, I guess some kind of closure. And I do think that. Like you said, I actually did relive it because when I was a little kid, I think some kind of defense mechanism popped in, and I didn't fully live it. Like I feel like I almost like went into some other place because I didn't remember this stuff for years and years and years and then um and then it came it, when it when it came back, it was like, you know, it it um, was visceral, you know, I remember feeling nauseous I remember I couldn't stop crying and just like it was very very like physical memory of all those things
1: and and when, and when and when this happened the the physical part of it
2: afterwards did you feel a sense of calm
1: after the
2: the, the waves yeah, passed through it, it took it took a little while and um I know that we we talked a little bit about how um when my mother my mother both my parents have passed away but when my mother was still alive i did an interview that was that aired on television and where i talked about my father's abuse and one of my nieces marched over to my mother's house and said why is alicia bad mouthing my grandfather and um, she's my mother said because it's true this is what happened And my niece is like, that's not the grandfather that I know. He's not like that. And it's like, no, he's not like that anymore. He's a completely different man. He's changed. But I'm so glad that I had that moment where my mother said, yes, this happened. Because, yeah, because otherwise they're gonna think, oh, Alicia's just like making all this stuff up, you know? Like she's. And and I think that happens to other people sometimes. They tell their story. And unless you had a witness there, you know, somebody, like, thinks, oh, no, they just want attention, you know, they just, like...
1: Yeah, or, or some side, some part of doubt, or certain, yeah. some kind of doubt. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and that's the great thing, that you had your mother's support, even yeah. if it's something, like, again, going back to, especially in Latino culture and in, in, in Catholicism, shame is a big factor of, yeah. of what we have on our on her shoulders. So that's amazing that your mother was able to say, no, 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 no. you know what? She's not lying. She's telling the truth. And I'm going to stand next to her. Es mi hija y dice la and yeah. now this is where, 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 what I want to ask you, what do you do when, when the people in your own family, like like your niece, well, well I'm, I'm guessing, you know, that's part of the process. There's healing now. Yeah. There's some communication, but what if that person refuses to listen to you and, and, and doesn't want to support you? Do, do you still speak about it either way or do you wait until you get the per- your mother's or your father's or your grandmother's blessing to talk about the, the
2: abuse that you endured? I just do what's right for me, you know? So if I have to something I need to speak about, I speak about it. And if somebody um, supports me, that's wonderful. I try and surround myself with people who trust me and believe me and, um, and there's always gonna be people who doubt and, and who question what I say, and that's their, that's their choice, but it's not gonna affect me. Um, thank you, thank you. And so tell us about punk chera music. Punk cheras. <laughs> punk cheras was something that I started doing with my friend Lisa Flores. Um, we were in a band together, Thank you. <laughs> we were in a band together called Stay at Home Bomb. Is is Eva Gardner here? There she is. Eva was in that band too. And um, after we got done doing Stay at Home Bomb, we started playing a little bit of acoustic music, and we're like, "Oh, you know what? I like these rancheras, but..." You know, I'm so into punk that I, I want it like, and also I think part of it was the way I strummed my guitar It was like, it, it didn't feel like a ranchera song. It always, no matter what I try to play, it always has that punk feel just because my guitar playing tends to lean that way. So it's, they it's turned your, into punk cheras. And also my singing is that way, you know, my singing is kind of...
1: But it's also very dynamic, I think, because you can go from ah to very complex melodies and 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 and, the, and how to, what inspired? Because what inspired you to go towards also the 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 catchy yet accessible yet complex melodies? Was that from the ranchera music or was that from other? The what kind of me- melody? Because you had like some some really cool because you can do oh. the, the 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 versatile. You're a versatile vocalist. Oh, and, thank you. And, and so what inspired you to be that? David Bowie is one of
2: them. I read, but. Oh, when, I was, when I was growing up, I was a big fan of Rafael. I don't know if any of you, have heard. Yes. there's some people I've heard Raphael. Rafael. Oh my God, he's such a great singer. And he was so emotive and he was so passionate. And I mean, I, I kind of see ties with him and like maybe Juan Gabriel, you know, there's oh, like that, okay. that sort of like very, um, like you really feel the music. So that was a big influence on me. I also was a big Joselito fan, oh, which is Rosalito. a, do you know who Joselito yeah, is? He was a, a, a teen Spanish singing movie star who I had a crush on, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> and so you were t- talking a little bit earlier about the process of writing Violence Girl. When, but what was the one moment that you've decided, I wanna write a book? Like Before the whole entire process, what was the
2: what inspired that? You, you know, it was um, it was a drunk night, <laughs> and I, I was um, talking to some friends of mine who were working on a play called *The Barber of East L.A.* They had an acting group called *Buchlali's de Panochtitlan*, which is a great name, and um, and they asked me to tell them stories about growing up in East L.A. in the '60s and '70s. And they were buying me drinks, so I was telling them stories. (laughs) And they're like, these are great stories. You should write a book. And I went home that night, and I told my husband, who's sitting over there. And he said, I always tell you, you should write a book. I've been telling you for years, and you never listen to me, because you only listen to your girlfriends. (laughs) And then um, I didn't think anything of it. You know the conversation then in the morning, he left the laptop on our kitchen table and it was open and he'd set up a blog for me that was called The True Life Adventures of Violence Girl. And it was like, okay, this is a message from him. You can do this. So um, if I had thought of it as like writing a book, I don't think I would have done it, but because I had been blogging and I only had to blog one page i only had to write one page a day it was like oh yeah i can write one page a day
1: and that's how it started too that's mm-hmm. how it
2: started yeah wow
1: that's a good exercise too to constantly be putting your mind to work every day like even if it's just one one paragraph let's yeah. say right yeah wow and then it's cuz eventually it starts adding
2: up and eventually you have a book yeah, yeah. so any any that's like thinking of writing out there just like write a little bit every day yeah. that's how, that's how all i mean every book starts with the first paragraph right exactly. so Get started. Get started. (laughs) So, and for any writers out there, I did have a special thing that I did. I would um, start writing in the morning, and then I would not allow myself to eat lunch until I had enough, like, a whole page to post. So, I get really hungry. So... (laughs)
1: And, and it's good because that's it's some type of discipline that you're putting on yourself, right? Yeah, and you like feel proud. Finish, you, finish, yeah. Mm-hmm, and you feel that pride, right, when you when yeah. you do do it. Yeah, along the, with the hunger, but the but the pride the is The satisfaction more. <laughs> at the end, yeah. You're satisfied in two ways. Yeah. <laughs> and so you were saying that that your that your husband was, is very supportive. And yes, that that's that's amazing. And it, how do you think it's a very common nowadays compared to how it was back, the, let's say, in the '70s? That that men or women would support their spouses or their or their partners?
2: I, I think women traditionally supported their husbands, but I think now it's becoming more, um, I mean, I think we're demanding it too. It's like, you know, if you're not, if you wanna go out with me, you better give me something back because I'm not, you know, I'm not here just to service you.
1: Very well said, that's true. Yeah, yeah, we gotta respect each other in, yeah. in, in every way possible. and. Wow, that got me teary. I don't know why. <laughs> 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 Nicaragua. Tell Nicaragua. me about your trip, because you have a relationship with, with this country that you were, yeah. you spent some time there. The the
2: um after I you know was involved in the punk scene for a while, I became politicized through that because I was often asked to um to play benefits. And at that time, it was the 80s, and Ronald Reagan had just come into power. And there was this all this chaos going on in Central America. And um, and I had just, uh, I had gone back to school, and I'd started teaching. And I was working with kids that were largely from... Mexico, but also Central America, and I realized, you know what, there's a lot going on down there that I don't know about, and I know that I'm not getting the whole story. Um, At the same time, I was teaching with an emergency credential, which means I wasn't fully credentialed, so I was still going to school, and one of my professors uh, assigned the book Pedagogy of the Oppressed which talks about a kind of education where you are basically indo- indoctrinating kids with the values of the dominant class and you're not really teaching kids to think. You're not teaching them critical thinking skills. You're not teaching them to have dialogue and respect other cultures and respect other points of views. You're just you know, telling them, memorize these facts. These are our founding fathers. These are the important things that you need to memorize and spit and bubble in later, right? And that's still how we teach, by the way. And um, and Paulo Freire said that those are structures that are intentionally put in to support the status quo. That's no accident, you know. Okay. So we we as a people we need to demand an education that teaches kids to think. and adults, you know, so that we can question our leaders, so that we can call them to the mat when they're not doing what we want them to do, and and feel like we're being patriotic when we do that. We're being patriotic when we question, not when we follow and memorize. So, thank you for your snaps. (laughs) Actually,
1: can we put the picture on of Alicia in Nicaragua, por favor? And I wanna ask you about this picture. So who oh, yeah. who is who in this picture? This is this is amazing. This
2: is look I, at this. I actually these are people these three people that are holding the sign were people that were from the, the Escuela Nica. The, we were volunteers, we're all Americans. And that's me on the end with the um fashionable sunglasses. They were, <laughs> but um this is a march that we were doing against the. Um, there were like a hundred million dollars that were being put aside for the contrast to, to fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, and um, there were marches all over all over Nicaragua because the Sandinistas the first thing they did when they got in into Nicaragua was to have a huge literacy campaign so the nation was largely illiterate and they organized volunteers to go out into the fields and teach the campesinos to read and that that was the reason that I had gone to Nicaragua because I was I was a teacher and I was learning about literacy, and I wanted to see how uh, this literacy campaign um, was, how it worked, because it was modeled after uh, the, the, it, it was actually, actually, Paulo Freire had been consulted to work on this literacy campaign, so I wanted to go and experience it, and it was, it was life changing for me you know i went down there thinking i'm going to give these people my time my expertise i'm going to like i felt like i was you know being the the person that was doing something for someone else when in fact i went down there and i had my eyes open and i realized i learned a lot of things about myself and it was a humbling experience it was a, an experience of like realizing i've been indoctrinated. I need to open up my mind and I need to see what's really happening in my own country and not come down here and think like I'm doing something good for someone else. I need to do something good in my own country because we're messed up. So, And we're really messed up right now, guys. <laughs> we're really. Yeah, yeah.
1: Mind-blowing how, how what, these times we're living in, and, and, and well, you know I me. Mean, I like to be positive. Do you think that the positive from from these crazy times that we're living in now is inspiring some type of union amongst uh, at least people that that believe in in some some, some yeah. I sort think of so. Logic? I
2: think people are much more aware. I think we're like constantly, you know, trying to. I mean, I I know I have been more involved in like marches and petitions and you know, like trying to, trying to make sure that we don't get blown up or ruin our environment permanently or like, you know, just fighting back. If, if, if all we do is fight back and minimize the damage, that's, that's a start. I mean, I would love to just do everything we can to, you know, uh, wait, let me just, (laughs) I have an image in my mind. I saw, I was in East LA yesterday and I was, um, driving down Wabash and I saw, um, mural with a wrestler, a masked wrestler, and he's got Donald Trump down on the mat, you know, and he's like, got him in a headlock. And I just thought, that's us. That's us. If we work together, we can, like, get that guy and make him bend to our will or get out, get him out completely. But um, I really believe that. I believe in the power of the people. I believe in us. So...
1: Because if if you don't start believing, then who else is going to start believing, right? right. It starts with yourself, and 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 it could be anything from a, you know from a little grain of seed of writing in your notebook or or even cooking one of your favorite dishes, right, or some, just staying active, right, not letting letting, Annie, letting it. Take
2: yeah, me. that's the thing is you don't have to be one certain type of activist. You don't have to be like an artist you know, that writes political songs. You don't have to be uh, a writer that's writing an article. You don't have to be the person that's marching out in the, you know, at the protest. You don't have to do all those things. You can do one or two now and then. But the important thing that you can do every day is talk to the people around you because those are people that you actually have power with, you know. Your coworkers, your family, your, you know, just talk to them and work the conversation to like, did you vote that way? Why did you vote that way? What are you, what is happening? Do you think this person is doing what you thought they were gonna do? You know, like open the door. And I feel like it's not enough to like, you know, go on Facebook and say, this guy is an idiot. Why did you vote for them? And then try, you know, you you can't troll the people that you want to, whose minds you want to change because you're not gonna change them that way. You need to have dialogue. And that's that is something that I learned from Paulo Freire. If you want to change minds, you need to have you need to go open-minded, and you need to have dialogue, and it has to be, you know, a two-way street. So even um, I, I lived in Arizona for a few years, and during the time that I was in, in in Arizona, I had friends who were politically conservative, who I had to open conversations with, and it was difficult, and um, but something that I reminded myself was: it's like, when we're not having a political conversation, these people are really nice. They're like, really, like, they've, they've done great things for me and my family. And, um, and I need to listen, I need to talk to them as human beings who have a different point of view. So that's how you can be a, a different kind of activist without being public about it.
1: Yeah, not everything's so black and white, right? Just because yeah. someone has a certain belief of something means that, oh, well, I'll never be able to be their friend now. No, no, it's good to. Start dialogue, like you were saying, and, and try to understand at least the other perspective. Because if they see that you're trying to understand their perspective, they'll try to understand yours, right? And, and exactly. it's healthy that way. I mean, maybe you m- might not end up ever understanding, but at least there's a, there's 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 some type of movement and struggle to get there. Some, some absolutely, yeah.
2: You gotta keep. You don't ever want to be in a position where like, you know, oh yeah, we're going to like, um, we're gonna get power and then we're gonna like subjugate you, <laughs> you know, like because you don't think like us. Yeah. We don't wanna do that. Right? We don't wanna put other people down and force them to think what we think, because mm-hmm. then we're just as bad. Exactly. Right? Exactly. So we wanna being- open dialogue and like listen to different points of view and and do do it the hard way, like change minds. Mm-hmm. Like take your time. And-
1: well, I, w- I wonder if it's okay for, uh, by you if I put on a video speaking of marches. Uh, yeah, Okay. Yeah. White justice, it's, it's a very inspiring video that I saw that I don't want to give away too much, but you guys will see and. Thanks, <laughs> so. When you did that to the police, when you went up to them and, and started singing in their face and looking right into the dead eye socket, uh, right into their eyes, what, 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 what did you, feel like you, were they moved by it? Were they mad by it? Or what was their
2: reaction? They were just staring at me. (laughs) They were like, (laughs) "Like, who's that crazy lady and why is she yelling at us? But I think the thing that really moved me was that uh, we were in front of the detention center and they were were clicking against the, um, I guess they click uh, coins or something against the windows and you can hear them. So they were listening to us. So at the end, you, um, you heard a bunch of clicking, you know, like that. And it was, it was moving because I felt like we're connecting with them. Yeah. They, know, they know, they know they're supported. They know we're here. So that was powerful. And, and what was the, the being in the march like? Uh, I, I always am energized by being, and I'm the, I'm like the person that loses her voice by the end of the, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I know I, I used to be a cheerleader. So I'm like, ah, come <laughs> let's go <laughs> for and a very short time in <laughs> <laughs> and,
1: and in and this so because I know you encourage you know dialogue and in my and my question that I couldn't help ask were there any cons in in the in the march were were in, were there any what in, in cons of being cons part of the march uh-huh. of being
2: in the march uh-huh. Um, I had to go to the bathroom at some point, okay, And that okay. was, it was the, oh, uh, that's it. Now everything okay. else is a pro. It's okay, like beautiful. really great. Yeah. I went to the women's march in, in Washington as well. And that was an amazing feeling. I felt like I almost couldn't move. It was so crowded. Like, you know, that it was almost scary how crowded it was, but it was so powerful. And, uh, and again, the bathrooms were an issue because I was like, <laughs> more many more people than they anticipated it was amazing so empowering that like i really i really feel that women are just coming into their own like they're like we're just getting a feel of what it's like to organize and have power like that was a taste of it and i think you're gonna i i think we're gonna feel a lot more of it And I just saw Lisa Flores over there. I didn't know you were here. Because we talked about her earlier, and I didn't acknowledge you. And I was talking about you, and I was looking at you. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) I apologize.
1: My mother would say apologies. I I, I told you this yesterday, but you tell me your thoughts on this saying, that apologies are only for for killers and
2: rapists. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know. Unless they're dead.
1: (laughs) And, and, and so what, what's the big difference between playing um, live
2: and being in the studio for you? Um, well, I love both things. I am in the studio right now. I uh, am recording with my producer, Lisa Flores. Yeah. With, I, yeah. and um, Eva Gardner up there played on a few songs too. I feel very, very fortunate to have had her. And I don't know if my friend Sharif is here, but he played guitar. I don't know. He said he was coming. Uh, <laughs> uh, he lied to me. But anyway, I, um, I write songs, and then uh, what I like to do is try and match up the songs to like each musician's style, what I think. Like, oh, I think this suits them, or I think they would do a great job on this song. Um, so I, I love being in the studio because I feel like I have complete, control or almost complete control like I have a lot more control over what the music sounds like and I love being able to do that because when I'm on stage I'm totally out of control when I'm on stage it's all about connecting with the audience and it's all about delivering the message and feeling like they're getting it you know like like you you're the same way I feel like you like you're like grabbing them and you're like you're coming with me Right. Uh,
1: uh, yes, and, and no? but it's also good to have the band back you up, and you know that you can, yeah, trust, them to you keep... can trust them. Yeah, you can trust them. They're yeah. like they got you. Yeah. yeah Ale, she's right there, the drummer of Butcherettes.
2: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> she backs me up. Yeah. 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 You 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 have to have a band you can trust, and yeah. they got you. If you go off, you know, like my band, my poor band. Oh my <laughs> God. How many times have I just like gone on too long, like, okay, I'm gonna go out in the audience and I'm gonna sing with you and I'm gonna dance over there and then come back and they're like, where did she go? How long do we have to play this? You know, it's like, but um, yeah, it's good. It's good to have a <laughs> band you can trust. So yeah, there's both, I need both things. I need the connection with the audience because that really fuels my, like, it fills my tank. You know, I feel like that's the payoff. But I also, as a songwriter, I love to hear my songs the way I imagine them. Mm-hmm. So being able to do that, um, make them sound pretty on the record and then mess them up live, it's, it's a treat. I, it's the best of both worlds. <laughs> well, you want to give me a bruise like yes. yours? Huh? <laughs> Is that a pretty bruise? Yeah. Can you guys
1: see it from all the way in the back? Yeah. But it doesn't hurt anymore. It doesn't hurt. Do uh, it. Oh, uh, I was playing a show and I was standing up like this, and then I just went like boom, but fast. Not, right now I cheated. This is I, yeah. like It like, was that. excitement, right? Yeah, excitement, not 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 anger, because you know sometimes you see yeah. one one person, it just takes one person, right, on stage to be like, like this, and it can ruin your whole night. What, what do yeah. you think of that when you yeah. see that one guy, like, cause I, uh,
2: or or person? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gave it away. Uh, yeah, I've had that actually. I, I I wrote about it in my book where I like, actually swatted at him and like got his glasses and crunched them up and <laughs> stepped on them. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not nice. I know. You know, sometimes people think I'm a nice person. They're like, oh, Alice Bag, she's you know an older woman. She's wise and like, <laughs> I am such. Yeah, I don't know. You're humble, but, but okay, I'll yeah. tell you the truth. I'll tell you what I'm thinking, and you, you don't ever have to wonder whether I'm saying, speaking my mind, because I am. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. No, no room, no time for BS. Right. No time for yes, BS. Life is no. too short.
1: Life is way too short, and that's why you don't think twice about confronting someone if they Because why go to a show and then make make me a the party pooper? Why 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 spend that negative energy, right? I cannot no. ever understand. I mean, could, would you would you ever do that? Go to a show and just. I don't, I don't know. To I understand. Sh- you try to understand. Maybe he had a bad day or something. I don't know.
2: I don't know. I, I remember um, having a show once where like the person was so excited that they pulled down their pants and s- pulled out their um, equipment. <laughs> you told me about this, Frank. It was at the Starwood and uh, I was playing a, a punk concert and my friends pushed this... Guy out because he was starting to masturbate in front of the stage, yeah. But we, like early punks, had a powerful alliance of women with stiletto heels who pogoed <laughs> furiously, <laughs> like goddesses, over over anyone that would get in our way. <laughs> yeah,
1: because if you're silent about it, then they're probably gonna yeah. keep happening.
2: Yeah, I was. I didn't even know about it until afterwards. Okay. You
1: know, okay, like they're yeah. like.
2: They
0: were. They, they took care of
2: it. Yeah. <laughs> they took care of business.
1: And and speaking of uh, the the punk shows, I'm gonna put one uh, video. Okay. From from uh, it's called, from the Troubadour 1978 February
2: 5th. Okay. And, and um, um, can I can I just say something before yeah, we put course. this on? Because I don't know if, if everybody knows that the reason that we wore bags on our heads when oh, we came yes. out is because the. My first band was called The Bags, and we wore bags on our heads. Yeah. So that was our, our little tribute to that. So now you're gonna see The Bags at the Troubadour without the bags on our heads. Thank, thank you for some. Oh. <laughs> that is difficult for me to watch. <laughs> and I wanna ask you why, why? Um, I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't like seeing myself. I, I I actually like myself better as um older and more I feel like I'm more confident and more powerful and more in control. And I feel like when I was younger, I was just kind of like, you know, like exactly like you see me, like kind of like ah, you know, and um not fully aware of my surroundings. I think in that that particular night was a crazy, um, a crazy night where we actually shut down the troubadour or not really. They, we, we didn't shut down. They shut us down. They like locked us in and, uh, and there was a oh, big do fight. Do you know the story? No, please no tell us. Tell a, the story is that, um, it starts a few days before at, uh, this deli, Cantor's Deli, and I was sitting with some friends of mine, or we were we were not we were waiting to get a table, and uh, my friend knew Tom Waits, and I didn't know who he was or like that he was a celebrity or anything. So she's like, my friend is talking to this dorky guy, and uh, <laughs> she introduced me, and I said, hey, you know what? We're playing a show at the Troubadour, and then I didn't think anything else of it, uh, and then she. Told me and uh, my boyfriend that he thought uh, he loved you, Alice. You were great, you know. And uh, but he didn't like Nikki. Nikki, he said, Nikki was a dipshit. And <laughs> Nikki was really pissed off. Nikki was my boyfriend, and he's also the guy that you see playing drums. So um, so Nikki was pissed off for a day, and then I didn't think anything of it. But then um, the day came when we were going to play the Troubadour. And Tom Waits showed up and like we're, he's like sitting there and these are the days when you have like your concert and you you had like long tables where people had to buy like usually a two drink minimum and you'd sit at the front of the stage and watch your band and a bartender would come, I mean a a person would come and serve you your drinks. And um, Patricia and I were like looking and seeing, oh my god, he's here. What are we gonna do? And Nikki's like, I'm gonna call him out as soon as I get up there. So it's like, don't start, I'm gonna say something. So at the beginning of this film, actually, you see Nikki come up and he gets the microphone and he says, like, Tom Waits called me a dipshit behind my back, and I think he's a but a bloody cunt. And um <laughs> cunt. and then we go into our set, and the punks, who were not going to pay $2 to sit at the front of the stage, start throwing the tables and chairs in the heap in the back of the... Of the You, you saw there's no tables and chairs in the front, right? You saw because I jumped off and started dancing. So they were they had thrown all the tables and chairs to the back, and except for one table at the front of the stage where Tom Waits and his posse were sitting down like we're going to hold our ground and and they did they they stayed there the whole night just kind of like glaring at us and um and then when the show was over i was actually kind of nervous cuz i thought oh my god are they going to charge us for things that got broken or what's going to happen um they got they emptied the house but they locked us in they said you guys cannot leave yet so we were really nervous um but All they wanted was to form a circle around Tom Waits and Nikki Beat so that they could have a fight. (laughs) So, you know, Patricia and I are like, oh my god, what's gonna happen? We're trying to get out and the punks are outside. You know, you see their hands like sticking in the door and they're trying to pull it open. It's very dramatic and it was a crazy night. So anyway, punk bands didn't play at the Troubadour for a while after that. (laughs)
1: And and so that that basically all that was in your mind when you were on stage or in that moment.
2: No, that like, moment. Ah. I think I was just kind of like over it. Uh, I I hate seeing I hate seeing that. <laughs> clip. It's just like oh god, I look so out of yeah. it.
1: Because basically no one at that time was doing what you were doing. Fishnets and then jumping into the stage. It was unheard of. It,
2: it, you were courageous. Anyway, I, th- th- I think there were women that were yeah. doing that. I mean, I think of like um, the Runaways. I think Cherie Curry wore like corsets and stuff like that and I think that was probably like I came from a background where groupies were like you know they were glamorized so I think I had a little bit of that like oh I'm gonna be sexy on stage and you know and then you know it's I don't know I never really achieved what I went out to achieve I think when I first wanted to be a singer I thought I'm gonna go on stage and I'm gonna sing pretty and I'm gonna be glamorous and of course I'd go on stage and I'd like ah, 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 and then I'd be all sweaty and paper bags were stuck on my face and my fishnets were tearing and you know, I'd fall on the ground and then my stockings would be torn and there'd be blood coming down you know so it's like so it's I like never The duality
1: I'm, of it though right I know it's like powerful yeah, and 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 so when when you would sometimes get hurt on stage afterwards, w- w- would you would you regret it? Be like, oh, why would I? Why am I? Why am I always hurting myself on accident? What's going on? Or or would you just you know be proud of it?
2: No, I never even noticed it when I was, i do not know if you have that experience. Well, you don't even know you got hurt because you're, a, you're full of adrenaline, right? Sometimes so- I would get hurt. But so at the time, I had some bandmates that would be
1: like, you know what, you, you should do that some more. You should, you know what, hit yourself harder. Because they thought I was doing it on purpose or something. And I was like, yeah, that's punk rock. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the more blood, the better. And then in the moment, I was like, oh, okay. But then I realized, I hope they really care about me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? So, yeah, there's that side yeah. to it, too. Yeah. <laughs> What about I do?
2: Why don't I do it to you? That's good showmanship too. Yeah.
1: And so basically, your sister Yolanda was a big is a big inspiration. Yeah. And when you were when you were little, you looked up to her because she also knew a lot about music and 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 she she passed away. Yes. And, and if, she, if she were here now, do you think a lot about like oh I would want to tell her this I want to. I
2: I um I don't I. She and I had a very, um, very traditional sort of, you know, big sister, little sister, and I I just kind of looked up to her, and I think I always wanted her to be proud of me, but I don't know that she would even, like, understand what I do or why I do it, but um, I still, you know, I was in a band when she was still alive, and um, she never really, like, she never got into it it was not it was not her thing but i that's okay it doesn't matter because yeah. i still loved her and i still feel like we were still connected and supportive um, of each other yeah and totally supportive yeah. of each other cuz you don't yeah. always have to understand
1: yeah. as long as you're there for each other yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely yeah. and 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 sorry sorry for mentioning the, the that heavy theme about passing away but i think it's something i mean do you agree that something we should talk about more as a community death because, Yeah,
2: i think i i do i think it's um, you know, like my sister's death was um, like my parents, I, you kind of expect that your parents are going to die, but my sister died very young, so it was really like it was really hard on me because um, she had cancer, and I don't think it was like three months from the time I found out she was sick too, when she passed away, so it was like hard. Yeah,
1: and, and your mother she worked for an organization for for charity for cancer. Yeah,
2: and my, this was before your sister had cancer. Yeah, my my sister was actually my half sister, and her father had cancer, and that's why my mother always volunteered for the American Cancer Society. Yeah, and that's w- w- relating to the people that would go into the, the
1: to yeah. your house because they weren't used to different neighborhoods, right, or something. Yeah, like that. yeah, and, they went, and and and. Uh, I don't want to. Is, is it okay if I mention it? Yeah, go okay, ahead. Okay, okay. All right. Uh, so, because a very elegant lady went into Alice's house because her mother worked for a cancer organization for charity, and and so this very very beautiful lady, right, elegant yeah. with the, uh, she walked in. But her mother before the lady got into the house. Made sure that the house was very clean. She p- took out the best uh, the, the uh, china, uh, tea cups. Made yeah. everything very, very nice for, for for this lady. And as soon as she walks in, her mom is a little nervous, right? A little even yeah. excited. You were even excited, right? Yeah. Very nervous too. Oh, there's a, no one comes to her house. Like, whoa, this is someone that's coming here. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, what
2: what what happens after that, that? So so my mom's trying to impress this lady and woman sitting down. And all of a sudden, I'm standing on the side and I see a cockroach walking up the woman's leg. And I'm like, ah! So. And what did you do? What did I'm you like, do? Gee, you got a cockroach coming up your leg. So um, the woman's, you know, she left. <laughs> my mom was, my mom was heartbroken. Yeah, but her, that's the part her, I didn't
1: understand. Why would she leave? You, you, you'd always have to roll it with the punch. Like, I know, oh, there's right? There's a cockroach.
2: Like, ah, let's, let's stay here. You know? Yeah. Well, there's... that's what we say, cause we, you yeah. know. But I think some people are like, no way. I mean, it's funny because also like, when people have memories, we used to live in. There was a group of punks who lived at this place called the Canterbury, and they write so much about like, oh, there were so many roaches. I'm like, yeah, I grew up with more roaches than that. You know? It's like. <laughs> it's like <laughs> And but there's like, it's perspective, right? Like, exactly. you have to compare it to something. So to me, it was like, yeah. not a big deal. Yeah,
1: it's all about perspective. Cockroaches don't bite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're they're actually very beautiful, right? Wouldn't you guys say? <laughs> 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 okay, we wouldn't go that far. We wouldn't go for that far. Okay. <laughs> and, okay, so taking it a little bit to a lighter side, because I guess this conversation may be a little bipolar, but that's basically what it is, you know? There's so many dualities um, going from death to your love for Archie
2: oh my god wow um,
1: <laughs> I I, I want to just be, between us in the, in this room uh, Archie was one of my favorite comics uh, what gra- what made you gravitate towards Archie that's
2: I think um my my father was a big reader so he would um, he would read these Mexican Western novelettes and uh, he would he would buy them at a used bookstore. Then the next one, he would go back and return them and trade them in for new ones. So in order to take me along and keep me entertained, he was like, you know, you can get these used comic books. So I would get Archie and and I started getting into Novelas de Amor. And I did also read Memin Pingin. I don't, so I, that's going to be controversial there, but uh, and Betty and Veronica and um, Little Dot and Dotland and Hot Stuff and all those good comic books, <laughs> Little Lotta, Richie Rich. Ooh. I'm just I'm just name dropping now.
1: <laughs> and, and and so you 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 had a love for comics. Uh, right now today, do you, do you what, what comics are you still into comics today or a little less?
2: I I. Don't read comics anymore. I was a big um mad magazine fan for a while too, but i I don't really read comics that often anymore. You broke up with them I yeah, yeah. no, I'd still pick them up if they were around I'd still read okay. them I did see I did watch the Archie series or the Riverdale is yeah. What it was, yeah yeah, did you watch that yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was obsessed with Archie. Every day after school, I'd go to the,
1: the to the the store, get my my, my I don't want to say the, the, the brand of the of the food. I'd get this, this delicious uh, junk food, but not delicious now anymore. Um, and and then the comic Archie. So that yeah, was very yeah, I felt like a, like a, like a sister
2: moment right now. So,
1: <laughs> so basically, you had to face a lot of ethnocentrism. How how do you deal with that nowadays? When when you when you have to deal with that. Ugh.
2: Um, I just don't deal with it. I just like kind of you know I give back whatever I get you know if someone's like cool with me i'm I'm good with them, and if they like I'm not a very patient woman, so you know yeah, no, no. I'm not do i do I seem like it <laughs> <laughs> like, you're being very patient with me right no, no, I mean you're yeah. like so sweet you're like <laughs> I know, she, I, and I met her, I thought she's going to be like scary, right? Really? <laughs> she's so intense, and she is just so nice. Oh, thank you. It's, so, um, so you can ask me anything. I'll answer okay, anything good, good, you good. want. Yeah. Thank,
1: thank you, thank you. So, you're, you're, so you, according this, to you, you're a person of little patience.
2: Mm-hmm. So what sorts of things are you?
1: Yeah, how thinking? do you, because I imagine you're more patient now. How do you acquire that patience? Because sometimes when I get angry, it, without double thinking it, I, I I hit a wall and I end up hurting myself. Ouch! How do you jump from that point to just not doing that?
2: Um, I I guess it depends on what kind of anger it is. I mean, I try and like like serious stuff that I'm really that bugs me. It, I, I write music about, okay. or I try and do something creative with it um, because I think energy is just. You know, like, if you can wait till you get home, you can write, or you can paint, or you can do something with that energy. Or you can, you know, write a letter or do something. Um, But sometimes I can't wait till I get home. (laughs) And sometimes, you know, like, there's, you know, there's countless stories in my family about my little outbursts, you know, like... um, like the, the woman at Costco who got too close to me with her shopping cart, you know, I was like, really? She was like, kept, every time I stopped, she oh. would bump me just a little bit, just yeah. a little bit until I finally turned around and just shoved it at her. And it's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, you know, like, you know, I guess I could, if I had the patience, I could have waited and, you know, gone home and written a song about the woman at Costco, but no, just had to deal with it then.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, they-
2: yeah, but actually, um, um, my friend Frank, who is here also, uh, she and I have a band where we write about stuff that bugs us, and most—it's mostly political stuff. Yeah, and it's a good way to vent too. Isn't yeah, you? and you're not paying for the therapy, also. And I know. I know it's I, good. Yeah, yeah I mean, actually, I, I'm a firm believer that punk rock is like the poor person's therapy. Yeah. yeah. yeah because it's so accepting
1: too regardless of where you're from and that's, that's what I always loved about punk music as well and i remember reading something that you said that that the, the la punk scene in, in, in the east la punk scene it was very accepting of anyone especially women and very encouraging do you still feel that it's like that today
2: i feel like the the places where i go play where i'm invited it's like you know i mean i feel like i'm 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 invited to those places because they are inclusive and I don't know if there's like some secret, you know, skinhead club that's very like racist and <laughs> and and macho but I don't know of it. I like to me it seems like punk has gone full circle and it's become again like queer and Brown and all, not just brown but all colors, right I mean I feel like it's inclusive and it's shaped by it's shaped by by people from all over this city, which is a very diverse city. so yeah so I feel like everybody ha- is putting you know it's putting punk back to where it should be, which is like messing with the status quo. You don't want to mirror it. So if you see a band that's just doing what the last band did and they, you know, have perfect punk rock hairdos and they're wearing their little uniforms and, you know, that's, I don't think that's punk. <laughs> no, 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 no. I don't think that's very punk. I mean, I know some people say, like, I've heard people say, Who's, who gets to say what's punk? You know, like, anything can be punk. And I I disagree. I don't think anything can be punk. How is, can Donald Trump eat punk? I don't think so. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I was bit that out. Of oh sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, because it's very easy to say, oh yeah, that's punk, that's punk and then eventually yeah. the, the, the word like love, right it starts getting worn out and yeah or, do you think the word feminism is being worn out or what are your thoughts on that?
2: I think the word feminism is being strengthened and redefined. It's being expanded. I was uh, walking my dog yesterday, and I saw um, my neighbor, who happened to be who happens to be a guy, and he had a shirt with like glittery silver letters that said "feminist." And I'm like, "I love your shirt!" And he's like, "Yes!" And so I was really thrilled that it's like, you know, that finally the message has come across that we're not trying to like take anything away from anybody else. There's not a lack of rights. Sorry, these are my rights and you can't have them. There's enough rights for all of us and we just want equal rights. And we just want equal pay. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you.
1: I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, oh, I'm sorry, I get so emotional and sometimes I feel very ashamed of that and, 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 I, and I, sometimes I blame Maybe the way I was raised, you know, like, oh, no, no, keep your emotions in, no hagas un show, or, or, or you, you know that saying, no, 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 but, but, no, but it's you're good with to us. Be. Okay. You can do, you can do anything. Yeah. <laughs> and There's, how do you do it? How do you wear your emotions? How do you speak so fluidly about your, your feelings? Is it is it a process? I mean, of course it's a process, but tell me, how do you do it? I,
2: I think for me, it's just, um, I didn't always feel like I could just say anything I wanted. <laughs> I feel like there's, there's been times when I feel that' I'm, I'm guarded because I'm afraid somebody will misinterpret what I'm going to say. And now I just say it, and I hope that like, you know, that people will keep listening if they didn't understand what, why I said something, that maybe they'll listen long enough to, the, to where they'll figure out who I am and why I said what I said. And if not. That they'll ask, so I can explain it. So um, I just, I, I just have more faith in humanity. I think they're like when I was young, I used to think that people were stupid and I don't think that anymore. Why did I think that? Because I think people didn't, I felt like people didn't understand me, and I felt like I'm really cool, I'm really smart, I'm really talented, my dad told me that, you know? (laughs) And you don't get it, so you must be dumb. So, um, So I feel like now, and I think I probably projected that, you know, I probably thought like you're not going to like me, you're not going to get me and um and it was that's exactly what I got back and Now I expect that people are going to get me, and that people um if they you know aren't sure about something I said that they will ask me, and as a result, that's exactly what I get. I get people who get me and I get people who are not afraid to ask, and I feel connected and much happier.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah cuz uh, you yeah, yeah. Uh, you're
2: doing yourself that service. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah cuz it's coming from from within you first, not not to look for for pleasing of other people. Yeah, yeah, and and and, and, and I guess what, what I want to ask is when do you realize I want to stop pleasing people?
2: I I don't know. I mean, I don't know that I really ever wanted to please anybody except my father. Oh. You know, because my father had such high expectations of me. Um, I think there's, there was a certain point at which I decided that I wanted to be my own hero, that I wanted to live a life that I could be proud of, that I wanted to, like, look at the things I did and say, yeah, you know what, that's exactly what I wanted to do. I didn't just fall into that. I didn't just, like, you know, like... I mean, just that video we saw where I'm just kind of doing this. I think sometimes people live their life that way or you're just kind of channeled into other things. And I think there's been times when I've led my life that way, where I've just let myself be transported into situations that I didn't want to be in. And um, I find that the more I am involved in my actions and the more I'm in the driver's seat the better I feel about myself, you know? And I know I can't control all this, every situation, and I know that um, there's gonna be things that I do that I'm not happy with, but at least I'm doing it with my eyes open and I'm making a deliberate effort to to think everything through. Because
1: if you can count on yourself, then that means other people can count on you. Yeah. And vice yeah. versa. Yeah.
2: That's really-
1: yeah, yeah, then it's, it's a work in progress with me, but you're an it's inspiration, so thank you. It's a work in progress so with
2: all of us, you know? We're all a work in progress. And, you know, I think the thing is that we all have to, like, I have a song that I just wrote on my new record called Blueprint, where I'm like, check the blueprint, you know? So you want to check, like, where are you headed with this structure that you're constructing, you know? where Are you going in the right direction? Every now and then, you should look at where you're going. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah. question. Yeah, right?
1: be aware of those questions at, li- at the very least, and
2: and I want to put a
1: a, a, vid- a video on. Uh, okay, this is actually, this is actually it it, it it linked me to you when I was very little. I was uh, with 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 these with, with these cool people. Are you calling
2: me old, Terry? No, I <laughs> <No. laughs> <laughs> I am old. I'm I'm what happy. I'm happy of being old. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> I recommend it. You guys, <laughs> join me. <Yeah. laughs> Uh,
1: after school, I went to, I snuck in, well my, my mother won't like this story, but I snuck into to a, a room full of, of these punk boys and they were watching the decline of Western civilization and um, uh, uh, and, and you were you were you were on the TV, and, and and I saw you, and I was like, oh my gosh, what's the, what's good? The, what's I didn't know that was that even existed because I w- my only source of of, of of music education was the Spice Girls. Just to just to make it clear, so for me it was, seeing this was like the, like a, a religious revelation, and and I would like to put that on if that's okay.
2: I don't yeah. know. You think I sound like Sporty Spice? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> When I saw it, I was just like, wow,
1: why in the world am I f- finding out about this now? You know, in my, in my, in my head. And, and, and then I, I, I just want to say thank you for that, because uh, imagine just only having that one influence. You're like, oh, yeah, the Spice Girls, and um, that's about it. That's all, that's all I listen to. But no, no, but that was a, a rude awakening, as they call it, where you're just like slapped in the face. And this, the, the real deal—it was this, this raw energy—and and I wanted to ask you because you know perspectives are sometimes insane, right? It could be, someone could could be completely enamored by it. But what was your perspective when being in in that moment, or what was the process like? How did this oh come my about? God.
2: Uh, I am not a huge fan of this um, documentary. I I I feel very privileged to have been in it, and I'm grateful that I'm in it. But I was very. Um, it was a very difficult time for my band. And uh, we were, I think we broke up just a few months after this. And it was also a time of transition for punk. What had been a very um, small punk rock community in Hollywood that was full of weirdos and full of like, you know, misfits from all over the city was changing and taking on a very, a very male-dominated, very uh, jock-flavored <laughs> um, feel, you know, and I didn't like it. And and I think in this in this particular um, documentary, it's called the decline because you, I to me, it's like, oh yeah, it's the decline of punk rock, oh. you know. It's like you're seeing it as it's like falling apart. Oh. And uh, I think in those days, if you had asked me, you know, what's going on with punk, I would have said, punk's dead, man. It happened in 77 and now it's over. (laughs) But, um, but it's not true, you know? And I mean, that, the thing about this is that I have perspective now, you know, and I can see like, oh, a bunch of people who hadn't heard of punk, you know, all, all over the United States and maybe other countries as well, got their introduction from this film. And, um, you know, and hopefully they were able to make something positive and more creative. Um, I think there's a few people in, in this um, film that are very, very talented and that represent the original scene. And there are people there that are very talented and represent this new hardcore scene. But there were a large number of bands that were really like the pioneers of punk In Hollywood, that were not documented, and um, and to me that's sad too because people who consider themselves punk fans may never hear of, you know, the 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 screamers or, thank you, or the weirdos or the controllers. You You have something to to add, Frank? I know Frank is here, so I feel like the plugs. The plugs are not in that, yeah, oh my god.
1: And so, speaking about documenting these bands, um, you've been keeping an ongoing uh, interview project called the Women in LA Punk Archives. Uh, What's going on with that right now? Tell me about it.
2: I, um... God, that was a few years ago I decided that I needed to have women tell their own story because because it was the same sort of thing where I'd have people want to interview me about like the early punk scene and they'd say but can you talk mostly about Darby Crash or can you tell me a little bit about you know like this particular you know group of people that they felt like those were the important people and I'm like what about all these other people that were involved that helped without whom punk wouldn't exist so I decided to interview the women who had been part of the, the early movement because I really feel without the participation of those women, punk would not have been as challenging, as exciting, as diverse, as different and original as it was. The reason that punk is really meaningful is because there were all these, grou- these groups of people who had not had a voice before, and they had original voices. and um, you hear that? You hear that in punk. It's different than what came before. So, it happened and all of a sudden nobody was writing about it. We were just being erased from history. So, luckily there were the you know, there was the the ability to I mean, there's we can now write our own stories. There's and there's an audience for it. You know, there's not when I was growing up it was a time where you had to depend on, like, a published book or a published uh, magazine to tell, your st- to tell the story. And if you were not fortunate enough to have somebody write about you, you were kind of fucked, you know. And now we can all write our own stories and we can have blogs and we can have zines and we can, you know, make sure that, that we document ourselves so that we feel like, you didn't create this, this is all of us, you know. Uh, I
1: don't want to I hope I'm not assuming I'm speaking on your behalf but uh, but, but but thank you for that you know <laughs> if only more more people did that we, we 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 wouldn't be erased so easily so thank you Alice. Oh. Thank
2: you. You don't have to thank me. But I appreciate it Terry.
0: Hey, this is Todd Burns again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a moment to tell you a bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and festivals. Almost every year since 1998, we have done the main academy event in one city. But we do events around the world throughout the year. In fact, we may just be doing an event near you pretty soon. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really does help other people discover the podcast. Thanks for listening.